This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Gin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie Creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Um, I'm Danny V, and I've been talking about my uh, junior fiction novel from zero draft to published book which it isn't yet but i thought it was really interesting to talk about the process i think i really would have been interested in having this kind of sort of voice in my ears and it's just my experience it's certainly not you know the holy grail but it's my experience and the things that i've learned and also i think i can give a cool sort of perspective because of the authors i've spoken to on the podcast of working in publishing and also being a writer. So it sort of gives me those three different lenses, which I think can be really interesting and I think has helped me learn a lot. So I just want to share that with you. So by no means the expert, I'm still very new in terms of being a writer, but I certainly am happy to share experiences and I'd love you to share your experiences too, because I think if we keep talking, we keep learning. I'm going to start with questions um, I've received from social media um, about people who listen to episode one and two. Uh, LB Hackney says, how big does your following have to be to gauge author success? It's a really tricky question because it all depends on whether your following translates into book sales or people being interested in your book. (laughs) It's essential, I think, to be in the writing community, but I think it takes years to do it well. It takes years to do it authentically, and they should be both your aim to create community rather than sell books. And just because you have a lot of followers, it doesn't always translate into being um, advantageous for book selling. I've seen both sides. We've seen Scott Stewart, who is absolutely brilliant and engages his audience in all different ways. And this, you know, helps him sell tens of thousands of books, but he does it in a really authentic way, links it to his family. And, you know, he has some great posts. I'm sure we've all seen them. And so I think it's about what, who you're engaging and how you're engaging the people. So, I think it's a really tricky question to to determine what actually gauges author success in terms of a following. I actually think social media is important, but it's also so flooded. And so I'm not sure if you can make a huge difference unless you have there's many, many followers or get famous on TikTok or whatever. So I think you need to focus on it, but I certainly don't think it should be your primary focus. Joe Diggs has asked if there's a word count or chapter length and number that I've been advised to use. 
both with my publisher at Larrikin House and with my agent at Alex Adset Literary Agency, we've both agreed on 15,000 words or up to 15,000 words for both junior fix. Um, the one in production at the moment for Larrikin House is called How Not To and the one um, with my agent um it's a little bit new to sort of probably naming it <laughs> it's got a tentative title but uh we agreed about 15 and so i think with the how not to i got to around 16 17 that's just kind of where it naturally sat and i think um with the other one it's, it's pretty close to the 15k mark chapters are interesting because i'm not a planner i've tried to be a planner but i get so bored i lose complete interest in the story and I actually think it's really important to lean into whatever you naturally are, whether that's a plotter or a planner, just accept it. Even if you want to be something else, I really want to be a planner, <laughs> but I will always abandon a story that I plan because I just get bored. Um, explains a lot <laughs> when I was diagnosed with ADHD. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I don't plan. I go in with a character, um, maybe more than one character, and I go in with a, a sort of a premise, an idea of, you know, I think this is what they're going to want and perhaps a couple of things are going to happen during the novel, but I don't even really write them down. So as soon as I write them down, I <laughs> my brain loses interest in them. So do whatever works for you. But I remember with How Not To, I just kept writing this scene and it ended up being about oh, nearly two, two and a half, maybe 3,000 words. And it just felt long, you know, and I needed to have all that information. But as a one chapter, I was like, oh, it's just too long. And so I ended up splitting it. And it was hard because it was sort of a continuous chapter with no obvious break. So I had to do some changing around. Um, and I think it reads much better now. And my editor was so great at helping me end the chapters. I think I'd end the chapter and then add another paragraph on. But she was like, well, if you take away this paragraph, it kind of ends on a more exciting, not sort of cliffhanger, but sort of a, a page turning. Oh, I want to know what happens more um, next. And then you keep reading the chapter, hopefully. So that was a really good lesson for me to sort of stop writing <laughs> at the end of a chapter and keep it on that little cliffhanger, which is easier than it then it is it sounds easier than it actually is too but I recommend really looking at your chapter end so I feel like for this kind of genre for me it was a natural sort of a thousand twelve hundred words per chapter I don't think I'd want to do any more than that um less probably if it works and I haven't been told otherwise and the first one has been through beta readers it's been through um, my agent oh sorry no the first one been through my publisher and been through an editor twice and how not to has been with my agent and no one said anything else so hey can't be too wrong uh belinda grant has asked i'd love to hear about getting an agent and what it's like on both sides of the publishing table i think this is such an interesting question and i have many things to say <laughs> i think with agents in my opinion um i think you'll get one if you a have a really great story or you've built a relationship with your agent or you're saleable or ideally a combination of the three. I've known you know, many agents through the podcast for a number of years. I've known Alex and her agency for years and years before I approached them because before I did, I wanted to make sure I had a piece of work behind me, that I had some published books, that I had something new to offer them that I wasn't already publishing. So with Larrikin, I'm really focused on funny characters and wacky things and laugh out loud. Whereas I did want to sort of stretch the writing a bit because I'm just in a, in a zone of writing so many things that I don't all expect to get published, but we'll talk about volume in a minute. And so this gives me the opportunity to write historical fiction or junior fiction with a you know, bit more of a serious message. And so I thought, well, that'd be cool if I could 
find homes for those um, with a publisher that, you know, that's what they wanted. So I wanted to turn up to Alex Adsett Literary Agency with something to offer, you know, rather than just, hey, I'm really keen. So um, I think that's what I did. And then Rochelle is representing me from Alex Adsett and she's been amazing. And so I think it's that synergy you get with people as well. And I really think it's just about making everybody's life easy. I don't claim to be an expert. So when Rochelle says change this, I'll just change it. You know, she's someone who's got to sell it and try and find a home for it, which is, you know, where that's at at the moment. So fingers crossed, I'll have some update on that. That's positive soon. Um, but I think you just have to, tr if you're going to go and have an agent, I think you've got to trust them. You've got to trust them to be able to sell it and, and trust their feedback. And I always do that. Uh, maybe when I have a hundred books under my belt, maybe I'll be a little bit more, I'll die on this hill. Maybe I won't. Maybe that's how you get a hundred books published. I don't know yet, but I think I've got three sides which I think I mentioned earlier, and that has really shaped my knowledge. But more importantly, it's really shaped how I write, how I receive feedback and how I take rejection. So as a writer, like any writer, I have had rejections. I will continue to have rejections. It's funny in Larrikin House because I do lots of work for Larrikin House. And um, there was a folder called Long, the folder called Parked. <laughs> and some of my manuscripts went into Parked. And I said to James, look, Let's just be real here. That's long-term parking, right? We're, that's never getting out of there. And it was a bit of a joke because, you know, when you build relationships with people, etc., I think these conversations get harder. And I just said, look, if it's not for you, that's fine because I'm never going to run out of words. I'm just going to keep writing stuff. So now we've called that folder long-term parking, never to see the light of day. <laughs> but it also means I'm free to either rework them or I'm free to send them to my agent. Or I'm free to start again or just chuck them in the bin. So I think that that honesty um, and that knowing that we've chosen a profession and a creative outlet where you are going to get rejected. I mean, that's just part of it. You know, unfortunately, it's not like going to uni and say, I'm going to be a teacher and you get your teaching degree and you get a job. Writing's not like that. You can do no courses, you can do a million courses, and it may or may not help you get published in the end. So I think it's really important that we just stay focused and on what we write and we're prepared to just go and write something else. I mean, I had a 90,000 word crime novel that I was asked to rewrite from first to third person, it took me four months to rewrite, it took me 18 months to write, sent it to the publisher and never heard from them again. Now I'm not bitter about this at all. I actually I actually find it just so indicative of, of the unknown of publishing, of what's hot four months ago may not be interesting now. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of glad I've had that experience because when I talk about, you know, working in publishing and having to do those rejections, I think it's important that we've all had the experience of being rejected because, you know, I think I'd rather something rejected than put something out in the world that's kind of half-baked or people are going to hate and criticise. <laughs> so it might have been a saving grace in the end. But I think knowing the market, knowing your publisher or publishers and knowing your skills and limitations is really key. I'm finding that I love writing picture books, but they do take me a long time, probably because I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to picture books and rhyme. I love writing 15K JFIX. I can just, my mind just gets straight into that little, you know, 15K of words and I just love doing it. And I can write, you know, sometimes I can write fast, but I just really enjoy it. I have lots of fun doing it. 
I'm writing a 50,000 word middle grade at the moment for NaNoWriMo. I'm struggling with that <laughs> because it seems so big. I've written 15,000 words or just a bit under and a JFIC would be done. <laughs> Whereas this is a quarter done. I'm like, oh, how am I going to keep, you know, it interesting by doing this three times again? So that may not be my sweet spot or maybe it's just because I haven't done it before. So I think knowing your limitations, not that you have to stay within those limitations forever, you can certainly learn, but knowing where you really sing and knowing where you really struggle. I think that's really key because I've decided, and this is completely up to you what you decide, I've decided because I feel really comfortable in that 15K space, I'm just going to write heaps of JFIX. I don't expect them all to get published, but I'm going to write so many because that's my comfortable space. I'm going to write so many picture books because that's my comfortable space. And I'm going to keep trying crime and I'm going to keep trying middle grade, but I'm not going to keep trying at the expense of not getting the junior fictions done. So that's going to be really tricky to balance. Um, I love how Sean Avery sort of really taken this on board. He said, just write heaps, just write heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps because it'll increase your odds of getting published. And it also makes you better. You know, that whole 10,000 hours of mastery. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And have the fire. I love that. Have the fire. If you don't have the fire, you might need to take a break or, I don't know, do something else. You need the fire in this. As a publisher, I find it both, like I love it so much, but I also find it really brutal and hard. I love connecting with creatives. I love seeing the work that becomes a book. I love workshopping ideas and speaking at conferences and meeting creatives. I could do that every single day for the rest of my life. The other side is acquisitions. And although this can be really positive and happy too, when you find the right manuscript, you're doing a lot of disappointing people. And I know what that feels like because I'm a writer as well. Slush piles are hard because you tell people what you want and you don't always get what you want or you get what you want and there's something else on the market like that and there are bazillion reasons why something doesn't get over the line in acquisitions and it's not always your manuscript unfortunately that's the tough the tough part of the industry which i really i don't like at all the second thing i think is that i touched on it before about writing lots of volume and i think you should just write submit forget and write more and repeat i reckon if you sit there and refresh you could have written a picture book. You could have written an outline of a JFIC. You could have written 500 words. I don't know. I reckon your time is best spent writing, submitting, forgetting, repeating. And I think that increases your odds, makes you a better writer. And then you're writing to write because you love it. You're not writing because we all want to get published, but I think you need to be a writer that would write no matter what. And I think if your story's good, you'll get published eventually, right? So some stories just need a different time or they need to wait or you need to tweak it or whatever. But I think if your story's good and I think if your writing's good and I think if you have, a, if you have that fire, I think you'll get published anyway. But on the positive side, oh, my God, I love the process of acquisitions when you find that story and you work with a creative to turn that manuscript, that Word document, into this beautiful illustrated book that kids love and I'm just experiencing so much joy at the moment being involved in a couple of projects at Larrikin House between Adrian Beck and Dean Rankin which I just oh my god it's going to be such a funny hilarious beautifully illustrated book that they're coming out with I'm so excited by Christy Byrne and Rebel Challenges graphic novel coming out mid next year I love, love, love and feel so personally connected to Joel McCarrow and Wayne Bryant's graphic novel. We met Joel two years ago 
at Somerset Story Fest. And as soon as he performed in front of people, I'm like, we have to sign him. We have to get him to write a book for us. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about John Larkin's work. He's got a middle grade coming out and he's also got our first adult commercial fiction coming out. And he's just, he's such a dream and he's so funny. And he sends me messages every time he writes this amazing <laughs> chapter or has some sort of epiphany with a character. So very connected to that journey. And I can't wait to see what um, Louise Park and Mo Johnson um, come up with as well, because as we know, Louise is extremely prolific and I can't wait. So I'm having those really exciting moments as well, working on these projects and I cannot wait to hold them in my hands. I almost feel like it's almost exciting when you have your own book in your hands. <laughs> um, as a podcaster, which is the third perspective I think I have, um, I hope the podcast is a cheerleader. I hope it's here to celebrate books and celebrate creatives. I hope it's there for us all to learn. I know I've learned so much and I think that shaped the writer I am as well. And hopefully it's made connections and promoted community. So I hope it's done all of those things, but my goodness, I've learned so much and I've taken on so much advice from so many authors or just a vibe or just a positivity or just a little tidbit from here and there. And I think, wow, I think I accelerated my own um, skills in writing and, and knowing about the industry just by having the podcast. So nearly um, at a million plays, which I keep saying because I'm really excited. And I think I looked today when I uploaded a new episode, like 640 episodes or something. So just keep, oh, I just keep cracking on. I keep thinking when is the end of the life of the podcast, but I'm probably just addicted to it. So when a million plays turns to one play, I'm probably just still going to talk to the void. Uh, so I have a question from LB Hackney about, do you get imposter syndrome? Um, not with the podcast, because I've been working on it and toiling away at it, and it's just really grown slowly and organically. So I feel like I've kind of earned my stripes there. In writing, I don't think I've had enough success to have imposter syndrome yet. Um, but I feel like, again, I've got a degree in literature. I've been teaching English and writing for a really long time. So I feel like a very new author and I feel like I have lots to learn and, um, you know, still lots to hopefully contribute, but no imposter syndrome there. I probably have to be more successful <laughs> in that field to feel like I had imposter syndrome. Um, sometimes if this is imposter syndrome, when I'm working in publishing, I'm like, who the hell am I to be giving advice? I've been here five minutes and it's true. I've only been working in publishing for two years, but, um, within that two years, you know, I've immersed myself completely in what, you know, this particular publishing company want and, um, you know, I try to keep learning and talking to other publishers and I do a lot of research and I'm always on, you know, Nielsen to try and look at what's selling and what's working. And I go to all the conferences, so I'm constantly, constantly learning. So I think everything that I sort of contribute to the publishing is it's so it changes so often anyway about what's hot, what's not, what works, how things are done. So I think it's about keeping your finger on the pulse. And I guess in the background in the podcast, I have also been, um, you know, immersed in the publishing industry in a way, talking to authors and publishers. So yeah, sometimes I sit there and think, well, who the hell am I dishing out advice? <laughs> but I've been entrusted with that. And I have immersed myself wholly and entirely in, you know, the publishing industry from a number of perspectives. So I just sort of comfort myself with that and go, oh, well, this is what I know today. And I don't ever think that, you know, I have all the knowledge because I certainly do not uh, Hayley in the library has asked about editing 
um, as she is about to embark on her own editing journey. And I do talk about editing in this episode, but I think there's a couple of different ways to edit. And the first part is editing yourself, which is really hard because sometimes you just don't see the things that other people see anymore. But I think the self-editing is really important in terms of trusting your gut. So many times I've gone, no, no, that's okay. Oh, no, that'll be fine. And immediately I should know that it's not. (laughs) So unless I'm sure, unless I love it, I probably should ditch it because it gets ditched in the end anyway when, you know, your beta reader or your publisher or your um, agent or editor sees it. And so I think your self-editing is really important in picture books I color code because I try and see you know where the narrative is where the joy is whether I'm attempting to be laugh out loud so I can get a real flavor and feel and vibe of the piece um and then I'll take on sort of beta reading uh advice which I think is really important because they pick up things you know depending on who your beta readers are minor writers they pick up things from a writer's perspective then um if I can, I'll, I'll talk to my publisher about it, but I may not always have that luxury and they'll give their perspective from you know, their, their publishing perspective. And then of course, depends on whether it goes to my agent or, or a publisher, then um, you take all that feedback. So I think with editing, I like to do it along the way, but I also like to go back. I keep a, a notepad now, thanks to Zanny Louise. Um, telling me how important it is to do that so you can drop down ideas as you're writing because sometimes you don't want to break that flow. So I talk about editing more in this episode, but if there is something specific you want to know, please shout it out for the next episode. Um, Let's talk about publisher feedback and first round of edits. I think I touched on this a little bit in episode two, but I wanted to talk about structural edits, which I found so great but so hard and they hurt my brain and they made me so tired which I was unexpected (laughs) that was an unexpected thing for me I was like oh why am I so tired I feel like I've run a marathon when I've been sitting at my computer for 20 minutes um so publisher feedback in my experience is brutal because I ask for it to be brutal I'm like you tell me the absolute truth of this thing because I want this thing to be the best thing ever so strangely I need to prepare myself mentally and emotionally, but once I have, I really like that no punches pulled feedback. And luckily James does not mind giving that. I just think it makes me a better writer. But when I first showed my manuscript to this publisher, I think I mentioned, uh, he said, the first thing he said, well, that's a lot (laughs) because there was no space for character setting or anything because it was literally just a joke book. So it was a really good lesson in JFIC to give the jokes room. And I think I talked about that on um, episode two. There's also questions when I was like, is that funny enough? And every time the editor suggested cutting it, I trusted them 99.9% of the time because I think... I think we know as creatives and writers in our gut if something isn't right. And sometimes we leave it in anyway, guilty. Uh, so when an editor comes back and goes, oh, do you need this? I think it confirms in your head like, yeah, no, I don't. So this was my first experience working with an editor on an extended piece of writing. I'd worked with editors before on my picture books. But I was really excited um, about working with an editor because it made me not only feel like a real writer, but I always wanted to see how I could really improve the way I told stories. And I always see feedback as something that is hopefully gonna make this project the best possible thing that it could be. I'm so fortunate to work with Kim Astle as my editor for this book. She's just so amazing, so kind, so smart, 
So gets humour, gets what I was trying to say, and she's edited a couple of our books at Larrikin House, and I just, every everything she says now, I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's gospel, we'll do that, because I really believe her vision. And her vision and her suggestions and her little additions of humour, they really strengthen the story. So I was really, I feel really privileged, privileged to have worked with her. I also learned that setting versus character, I'm really crappy at setting because I find it boring, but apparently you need to know where your characters are. So I'm getting much better at that. And for my middle grade, I've had to get much better at that because setting for this is really, really important, particularly because half of it's set in medieval periods. So it's likely never to see the light of day, but I'm just going to keep cracking away anyway. I'm actually procrastinating Nano by doing this episode. So that's how well I'm doing so far. Um, I also learned how to structure a scene and I think as writers we know this or we've been taught this or we know it because we've read lots of books but it was really good to see um, it in the light of a story in the light of story I've written and so I keep this note next to me that says what's the goal what's the complication what's the disaster and it was just a great reminder of how to structure each chapter so that was cool structural edits oh I found them so hard and not hard because they were hard just my brain and I was talking to other writers going am I normal that I just find editing so exhausting apparently everybody does so I felt a lot better about that so what I did I think this was a mistake but <laughs> I went through all the comments on the side and I went oh you know what I'm going to smash through all the easy things first you know that there's little line edits the little things that didn't take much time I might have written a wrong name here and there so I felt like I'd done stuff I'm like yeah done 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 so down the side I could see in the comments that I've done all these things. I'm like, yes, I'm awesome. Then I went, okay, let's go back and do the medium hard stuff. I'm like, okay, let's do that. Oh, this is exhausting. That took a long time. Okay. All right, fine. Done all the medium stuff. And then in my lack of wisdom and experience, I went, okay, let's do the hard stuff. Oh my God. I was so over it by then. I don't know what order I should have done it in chronological or hard first and left myself with the easy first. I still don't know what I'm going to do next time, but this hard stuff was moving things around and changing structure and adding bits and taking away bits. And I actually thought my brain was going to explode. So although it has made my story so, so, so much better in my opinion, um, wow, it took a long time to get that right. <laughs> it was intense. And I remember messaging my writing buddy going, I love feedback. I love feedback. I love editing. And then going, oh, I think I've made a mistake. <clears throat> Not sure I love it anymore. But you do it at the end. You do it at the end because it's so much worth it. It's so worth it. So if you have a better way of tackling structural edits, please tell me because I'd really like to know what that is. I don't know if I did it wrong or if it's just always hard. Not sure. Anyway, that was my experience in episode three. Um, it has been announced that I finally have the fabulous Jules Faber to illustrate this story. So I'm super excited. I've always wanted to collaborate with Jules on a project. And so to have him illustrating um, my first JFIC is really awesome and special. And I cannot wait to see what he comes up with. And he's at the moment got the manuscript and he's creating characters. So thrilled to bits about that. And I'm sure I will talk about that a lot more. Please throw questions at me in socials. I'm always on them. So, you know, send them wherever. Insta is probably my favorite place to be. Um, and if you've got any advice on any of the things I've spoken to or experiences that have helped you out, please share them as well. And I'll address them in episode four. Uh, happy writing and, you know, Write, submit, forget, repeat. I think that's the message for today. 
Thanks everyone. I'll see you in episode four. Bye.